Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there, it's Mike Williams. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. We're going to call today's uh, podcast On Empty. It seems timely because uh, Friday's uh, jobless, or excuse me, unemployment report was uh, paltry, as they say. They went immediately to attack how bad it was and how much trouble we were already in. Here we are, six days into summer, and we're already in a lot of trouble. How close were we calling that one in some of our most recent podcasts? Look, let's hope for more trouble. The problem is the market's not acting like that. Remember, one of my fears was maybe we won't get a summer swoon. That would surely be a surprise. But the thoughts on being on empty, you know, that as soon as we got a bad jobs number after I don't know how many years of good jobs numbers, interestingly enough, I suppose we should expect a fresh wave of those experts who will continue to call the top in the markets. I mean, get it, guys. Those who are calling tops are, are the ones who aren't in the market, okay? They're, they're what we call talking their book. Uh, think of it in that perspective. If you're sitting at a cocktail party and you're hearing someone badmouth stocks, uh, a market that, by the way, has been in a bull market for multiple years and has been recovering since 2009, just like we did from 1975 to 1981 before breaking out into a brand new 20-year bull market, uh, which, by the way, are the same cards we're looking at now. When you hear someone bad-mouthing something like that, you can assure yourself they're not in the market or they sold a long time ago and they're expressing their pain Okay, for watching things continuing to rise and not be a part of it. So while we're having that vast new layer of experts, because, of course, it's summer, while we're having that new layer of experts call the top, we can throw in a few tropical storms and an occasional hurricane, and it should be a pretty normal summer. The latest reason, of course, is the slowing jobs market based on the dismal jobs report Friday. Oddly enough, the only thing which is not acting badly since that report is the market itself. When questioned, if you know some bears, then uh, let's think of the kind of things they'll respond with. Here's some thoughts. You can take your pick, and I imagine you will hear it from your closest friends who are bearish on the future. The Fed continues to juice the market with free money. Or how about no one was around on Friday. That's why it didn't collapse. Well, how about Monday when it went up again? Low interest rates are causing a disconnect from reality. Really? Nobody's causing low interest rates except the people buying all the bonds. Jobs have been terrible for a long time. We just don't know the real numbers because the government hides them. Really, believe me, if they were as bad as all the bears think they were, you'd see riots in the streets in all major cities. Oh, here's a good one. I love this one. The Fed is out of bullets. Do you realize how many years we've been using that excuse? By the way, take away the reference to jobs, and the bears have basically the very same responses to any economic data update that is not Armageddon. While the data would believe one to believe that someone turned the lights out on the U.S. economy 
in May. That's simply not true. It's sort of like these weak Q1 GDP numbers we've been getting for years, which have been followed by 2% growth. We've seen more than a few weak job numbers on these reports over a month-to-month basis since the 2009 lows. So when you stay too focused on data points every 30 days, one will get these things from time to time. The revisions were not good to see, but that too is part of the rolling landscape. Again, let's, let's take note. Those parties that are apparently not having jobs did not show up in unemployment claims, which remain at multi-decade lows. So the mix kind of merits a bit of a pause before we assume the world is over again for the 1,275th time this year alone. How about another perspective? Let's step back from the headlines and realize that a few things don't add up with this ugly report. My hunch is we may have looked at the wrong data point. Maybe the weak jobs number was driven by a widening gap between educational requirements for the job openings we do have and the educational status of those looking for jobs. Remember, we saw this the last time we had a major demographic shift in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when the baby boom came to the stage. There was an adjustment point where all those who could had found a job. Then there was a point where we needed to see others take on courses and new educational traits to train and prepare them for the jobs which were available back then. I suspect we're seeing that very same thing again. We could be buffing up the e- against the edges of those that are trained enough to get the jobs that are open. This would certainly better match what is being said by companies looking to hire. They can't find enough people with the right education. It's also better matches a few other data points we've seen recently. We have record job openings. Guys, it's not a lack of jobs. It's a lack of education. We have solid ADP, private payrolls. The confidence survey about jobs is upbeat, and the earned income proxy is still rising. And by the way, it's at record highs. In the end, the latest report may indeed be showing us something else, a big skills mismatch between all those unfilled jobs and the available workers to fill them. Now keep in mind, it probably means we're still plodding along in this quote-unquote slow and miserable pace of growth. I want to give you a little <coughs> excuse me, a little information though, because sometimes you can get lost in small numbers and big numbers, especially when you mix them. I want to give you a sense of what I mean. In 1982, when I started in this business, the GDP of the United States was $6.4 trillion. We were getting spectacular growth, three and a half to four percent. We had some four percent GDP quarters. That is a staggering amount of growth, right? Think of that in real dollar terms. If I had a $6 trillion economy, let's pick the highest growth number, and it grew at 4% in a quarter, that's an annualized output of 240 billion real dollars of growth, 4% on $6 trillion. 
And again, I'm making the math easy here. Today, we have an $18 trillion economy. And oh my God, it's only growing at 2%. What a paltry growth number. But guess what? 2% on $18 trillion is a boatload more money than 4% on $6 trillion. Add it up yourselves, you'll find out what I mean. In other words, when we loved how fast the economy was growing in the early 80s as it took off, when the baby boom came on board, we were getting $240 billion new dollars of growth. Today, when we hate the economy, we're getting $360 billion new dollars of growth. Pretty fascinating, right? Yet you won't hear that in the headlines. Under all the angst, the barbell economy is working just fine, but one needs to separate that from all the media noise and the rest of the puzzle. Listen, just my hunch here, but those looking to the near term, it is likely the Fed will find it hard to raise rates given the lack of any fundamental improvement in the jobs market. But the market fully understands this, and fearing it, whether we get a rate hike or not, is a waste of time. They're already priced in accordingly. No rate hikes are expected for at least a few months. The 10-year Treasury is still at 1.72%. And by the way, if you're in Germany and you have a choice of minus a quarter percent, or plus 1.7%, you're going to buy that bond all day long. On top of this note, the market also shows inflation expectations remain subdued. This, while liquidity is abundant, remember we have $8.3 trillion in the bank. The market exhibiting little signs of any systemic stress and all those fears about high-yield debt in the energy market exploding. Remember all those fears back in January and February? Well, those have all subsided as we saw the energy price double back to the $50 range. Recall something about the high-yield energy debt crisis. Here's a dirty little secret that Wall Street won't let you in on. There's already more capital raised waiting to pounce on the problem, quote-unquote, than there is caught up in the problem. Think about it for a second. There is more money waiting to take advantage of the problem than actually exists in the problem if every single high-yield bond went bust in the energy business. Here's a thought to ponder instead. There seems to be this constant need to balance where rates are, where the Fed should be, where growth should be based on rates, and how the world quote-unquote should look. For the most part, these views are based on historically outdated tracking mechanisms from a time that was so long ago, it no longer matches our current economy in any shape or form. The data we get in government reports today is, this, is found and calculated in the very same manner it was done in 1950. Imagine this for a second, just to give you how fruitless this is sometimes. I want you to understand something. Let's pretend you went to the doctor because you had been told you have a brain tumor. And the doctor says, well, you're certainly exhibiting the signs of a brain tumor, but let's check 
to make sure. Let's put you in this fancy new CAT scan machine. We just got it from General Electric. It's one of their first. It was built in 1950. Let's put you up on that bed and slide you in there and see if you have a brain tumor. Remember, it was built in 1950. Now, I want you to pause for a second, stop laughing and choking on your coffee, and I want you to realize what you might be thinking as you were getting rolled into that machine and hearing it creak up to speed, telling you whether you had a brain tumor or not. Would you feel all that comfortable about the output? Okay, with that thought in mind, let's think for a moment about other things we thought we knew. We thought... We knew, many experts told us, that QE was going to launch the mother of all hyperinflation storms and consume the entire planet. Well, that didn't happen. We were certain in 2008 that high oil prices, remember, they were $148 a barrel back then, on their way to $300, according to the experts, high oil prices were the end of the world. OPEC was going to own everything. Well... That was wrong. On the other end of that scale, just recently, low oil prices were the end of all mankind. And they were going to bring a firestorm of deflation that would also consume the entire world. Not too many years ago, real estate markets were the reason for the end of the world, and they would be burdened with decades of unsold inventory. Now we don't have enough houses. You remember this one. The Chinese yuan was going to replace the U.S. dollar. (laughs) This is, by the way, the same Chinese yuan that has been devalued by their own government four times in the last 12 months. (laughs) Four times in the last 12 months. And I love this one. We were certain the Cubs were going to win the World Series last year. Of course, coming from Chicago, that one disappoints me the most. So, here's the thing. All these elements have come and gone. Okay? We may want to climb out of the box for a moment and ponder this instead. What if rates can stay low for a long time? We know the Fed does not control market interest rates. The Fed is not forcing all those investors to stand in line to bid, to try to outbid others for 1.7% 10-year treasuries. They're not pushing anybody to do that. Fear is doing it. Interest rates are low because we are still awash in fear. Everyone still expects another 2008, 2009, somewhere around the corner. That corner might be 45 years from now, but they still expect it. So the demand remains gigantic, unsatiable, for, quote, safe assets. Stocks are shunned at every glance, and if you want more evidence of that, just give it a week or two of red ink and you'll see how much people hate stocks. So the question might be this. With investors clamoring to pay 50 times earnings and more for a 10-year bond and still shunning stocks? Well, maybe, just maybe, rates stay lower for far longer than assumed. Maybe inflation can remain capped for far longer than expected. 
and maybe companies will continue to find efficiencies for many areas that were not anticipated. Mix in revenue growth and earnings growth of at least 5%, even 5%. Put them together, add in the global problems elsewhere, add in stock buybacks and merger activity, and you get continued drivers for stock prices to the upside, surprising everybody. The bottom line, look, whether or not a, a report here or a report there falls short of expectation and then sees revisions months later, there are powerful drivers in place. Those drivers in the United States cannot be erased. You cannot erase 76 million baby boomers changing retirement for the next 40 years. You cannot replace 86 plus million Generation Y kids growing up and becoming adults and changing the world as we know it in the business environment. You can't change it. It's all going to unfold. All of that will unfold while we encounter short-term setbacks and many bad economic data points along the way, just like we have for the last 30 years. Net-net, we stand on the side of this. The surprise, as it has for years, remains to the upside. So let's pray, yes, I mean pray, for a summer swoon and some setbacks to take advantage of. More on the next podcast. Hope these thoughts have been helpful. And until we see you again, have a great day, and may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.